Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Well, go ahead and grab your Bible. We'll be in Colossians chapter 2 uh, in a series that we've entitled Jesus at the Center. Jesus at the Center. And the reason we're walking through the book of Colossians is because the main theme of Colossians is the centrality of Jesus. And, and Paul is calling the church back to this foundational understanding of who he is. And he's central to your faith and he drives everything. And I believe today as a church, but also as a people, uh, we need to be brought back to the understanding of who Jesus is. Uh, we've been in a pandemic. We've been in a space where we've been isolated in our own thoughts and different ways of reason and things have come our way that... Um, some of us may be caught up in that and we're believing things that are not necessarily truth or half-truths and, and not really what, who Jesus is. So we want to come back to the centrality of Jesus. So we're in Colossians today. I hope you all have been enjoying this series. Colossians chapter 2. Uh, if you got it, go ahead and stand on your feet. We're going to start in verse 6. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. I'll be reading from the ESV version starting in verse 6. If you got it, go ahead and say got it. Here now the reading of God's word, it says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism. In which you were also raised with him through faith. In the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you... Who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he made, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him the very word of God amen today I want to preach on the topic the person behind my strength the person behind my strength let us pray before we take our seats father thank you so much for this morning you're good and God I do pray as I pray each morning or each Sunday that you would hide me behind your cross so that you may be Lift it up in this place. Decrease me so that you may increase. Holy Spirit, fill our hearts and open our hearts for the word and what you may have for us this morning. Let it not be me speaking, God. We need your word and we need to hear from you. So God, have your way. Speak, God. And it's in your name. We pray all these things and everyone said together, amen, amen. You can be seated. Have you ever met or known a person where they've gone through 
an immense amount of trauma or pain. They've just experienced some hard things in their lives, heartache, whether that be a death in the family or uh, some other trial or loss of some sort. And by you knowing their story, when you look at them and you see all that they're going through, it kind of boggles you because as you watch them, you would think that they would be an immense amount of pain, head held down, but every time you see them, they're smiling. You ever known a person like that? And my grandmother, she was a woman of faith. Uh, and even after losing my grandfather, her husband, and living through her own hospital visits, after hospital visit, after a hospital visit dealing with diabetes and other ailments that she had, she never stopped smiling. And she would always tell me, she would say, smile, smile. She would say, smile, big shooter, smile. That was my nickname. And I always used to wonder, Grandma, why are you always smiling? Why are you always telling jokes? Why are you so happy despite the circumstances and the things that you're going through? And I really didn't understand this and why she would smile until I came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior later on in life. And I look back and I remember her. I watched my grandmother and, y'all, she didn't miss a week of church. She was always there every Sunday. She's the daughter of a Baptist preacher Watch this. She always smiled no matter what came her way, heartache or disease, because she was rooted and built up in Christ. Hence, the person behind her smile and her strength was Jesus. Is there anybody in here this morning that can resonate with this? You're smiling this morning. You're happy, but you're not smiling because... Of how good your week was and how great you are, you're smiling because of the goodness of Jesus on your behalf. Today, Paul, once again in the text, he's, he's pointing the Colossian church and he's pointing us uh, to the person and work of Jesus. And he, he lets us know that although there are many different truths and beliefs that are floating around that are coming your way, there's only one who can truly satisfy, and that's Jesus. So this morning, I got two, three points, and I'm out your way. Number one, walk in him. Number two, be rooted and built up in him. And number three, in Jesus is all we need. Uh, let me say that again. Walk in him. Be rooted and built up. In Jesus is all we need. Paul here again. I'm going to need y'all to keep on amening it this morning. Uh, Paul here again. Thank you, CJ, for that one. He, he's writing to the Colossian church because of the heresy of the time and the, the, the false theology that was entering their midst. And we're not sure really of what the false theology or false teaching was, as we've talked about in weeks before. But what we do know is that it's causing a drift in the people. It's causing them to sway against the solid foundation of Christ and, and where they, they, they've been rooted in their belief of Jesus. See, this is problematic for Paul, so he steps in and he, he corrects them in their doctrine as well as their practice. And he begins in chapter 1 by reminding the church 
of who Jesus is, saying he's the supreme creator of all things. He is the head of the church. He has died and he's given his life up for those that will believe in him. And Paul, see, Paul, he's, he's pointing the reader and the church to who Jesus is, the fact that Jesus is God. He, in fact, uses words like he's preeminent, where he came before all and he's Lord over all. Paul is emphatic in his teaching here because he wants the Colossian church to walk steadfast in their faith in Jesus, and he wants them to grow in maturity in their walks. And as I said last week, we know that this gospel is for everyone, so he's looking at this Gentile church who are not of Jewish ethnicity, and he's saying, look, I don't want you to just know that Jesus died for you, but I want you to grow in maturity in who he actually is. I want you to grow mature in your faith. Now, this all leads to the passage today because Paul essentially says, well, now that you know about Jesus, you know all of this about Jesus, I need you to walk in him. You need to walk it out. But hear me, our passage today, it emphasizes less of what it looks like on a day-to-day basis to walk in Jesus, but more it emphasizes the how and And why we walk in Jesus. Look at the text with me. Paul says in verse 6, Therefore, as you have received, everyone say received. Received. He says, As you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. Paul is specifically here in the passage talking to believers, and he's saying, Since you have believed, since you know and believe in Jesus, now I need you to walk in him, or more so, continue to walk in him. He's saying, Live in light. Of knowing him as supreme. Now, follow me with this. Because the English translation, when we translate from Greek to English, we kind of lose some of what's happening here and we really easily just skip over what Paul is saying here. When Paul says Christ Jesus the Lord, you see that? He He says Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, notice he doesn't say Lord Jesus Christ. He puts Lord at the end of the phrase with Lord introduced by the article the. In essence, the statement means or could be read, you have received Christ Jesus, the one who is Lord. You see where he's going with this? Paul here is pointing back to the resume of Jesus and who he actually is, where he mentions this in chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. He says, Jesus is the Lord over all creation. He is the head of the body who is the church. As a matter of fact, let's look at this. Let's read it together. Verse 15, I love this. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body. There it is, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether here on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now watch this. The reason Paul keeps reverting back to Christ being supreme, don't miss this, is because the attack here on the Colossian church is not so much on the individual believer. It's not so much on their faith, but it's more so an attack against Christianity as a whole. So Paul's like, oh, no, no, no. And he, he very emphatically steps in and he's like, no, we, we, I got to tell you who Jesus is again. 
I got to introduce you to him again. Here he's saying, not only since you believed in Jesus, but since you've embraced, you've taken hold of all Jesus is. He's the Lord of all creation. He's the head of the church, the one that died for you when he didn't have to, the one that is supreme. Now, I want you to live and walk in light of that knowledge, that truth. See, that's bigger than telling somebody to go live by faith. That's more than saying to somebody, you just got to have faith. No, you got to know the one that you have faith in, the supreme one who is Jesus, because how many of y'all know that there's some struggles, there's some battles and things that you fight in your life that you can't handle by yourself? It's just too much. It's overwhelming. Puts you in a state of of being in panic. You just just like, I don't know what to do with this. Paul says, you have received Christ, who is Lord over all. Walk in him. Let me see if I can make this a bit more plain. Just the other night, my little man DJ, uh, today is his fourth birthday. So y'all, when you see him later, make sure to tell him happy birthday. Nala's was on Friday, so tell her too or she'll be mad at me. <laughs> Just the other night, DJ was, he woke up in the middle of the night and he had a bad dream. He, he runs down the hall and he's crying and sobbing. And I, I just, I can hear their little feet as they run down the hall. So I just pop up. And he's crying and sobbing. And I've come to know when they're in that place of panic, I can't meet them with a voice of panic. And so when I hear them, because they don't know what's going on, it's nighttime. They're just running to where they can go. And so when I hear him come to the door, he's calling out for Kaylee and I I, I, in a very stern voice. So he hears my voice. I say, DJ, DJ, come here, man. Come here, man. Come here. He, He needed to hear my voice. And he comes into the room, he proceeds to walk in the room, actually runs, and he jumps on the bed and he hugs me and he buries his head in my chest. And I hug him real tight. And I say, what's going on, man? What's up? He said, Daddy, I had a bad dream. I had a bad dream. And I said, it's okay, son. It's okay. And in this moment, what I, what I always do is I affirm them of my presence. I'm here, DJ. I got you. But then I also tell all my kids that I'm not only watching over you, God's watching over you too. And so I keep praying over him, and, I, and then I eventually tell him uh, good night, and I say, go on back to your bed. And this usually works. But this night it didn't work, and DJ got out of the bed, and he, he stood next to the bed like this. And I said... What's wrong, man? And he just said, duh, 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 duh. and I said, I need you to talk like a big boy. What's going on? He said, Daddy, can you walk me back to my room? I got out of bed and I walked him back to his room and I laid in his bed with him and I tucked him in and I hugged him once more and I prayed over him again. And I said, Amen. And like I always do, I, I said, You the man. See you in the morning. He said, no, you the man, daddy. (laughs) Now, don't miss what's happening here. DJ was in a place where he was frantic. He was afraid. He was in a place where he wasn't able to trust any ounce of strength within him. So what did he do? He turned to someone who was bigger. He turned to someone who was greater, who was stronger than him, his daddy, to where in the midst of his calamity, he was able to sleep soundly. But let me ask you, 
Do you think DJ forgot that dream? Not at all. Do you think DJ forgot that he went back to the same bed that he just had the nightmare in? Not at all. But he's able to sleep because he was affirmed of the presence of his father. And I wonder who in this room this morning needs to be reminded that the Lord is with you. He hasn't left you. And as David says, I love it in Psalm chapter 23, he says, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Turn to your neighbor and say, walk in Jesus. Walk in Jesus. See, Paul here in this passage is saying, since you have received and you have embraced the truth of who Jesus is, the Holy One, the creator of all things, the head of the church, walk in him. Who is Lord? But I know, I know, I'm only getting a couple amens because y'all saying that's not enough, Pastor D. I get, I get that. Move on to, 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 to verse 7. Paul, he keeps going. I love this. He, he kind of intensifies it a bit more and he says, well, be rooted also. Be rooted and built up in him and established in your faith. Now, rooted gives off the symbolism or, uh, or points to the agricultural understanding of roots of a tree. Where when we are deeply rooted in Jesus as the ruler or Lord over, over all things, we are unmoved. For instance, a tree is able to withstand or, or go through all the storms and the craziness of the weather, the snow or wind, whatever it may be, not because of how tall it is or how grand it looks on the outside, but it's because of the roots underneath the tree. And here's the thing. Most of the time, you can't see the roots. See, this type of strength that Paul is pointing, up to, pointing us to or speaking of here in the text, this rooted is more of an internal strength, just like as in most times you can't see the roots of a tree. He's talking about the internal strength of your faith. You can't see it, but it's there. Stick with me. I promise I'm coming to your neighborhood if I'm not there already. Now, being built up, on the other hand, Paul here gives us the imagery of a strong tower. This is a building which is outwardly strong. When you look at it, it's grand. It looks amazing. So what Paul is saying by being rooted and built up is saying one has to have an internal faith rooted in Christ, which displays an outward presence of stability, not by the size of your muscles or your stature, but by your faith in Jesus. Paul says, be rooted and built up in Jesus. Let's put it this way. Everybody in here, y'all have seen the, the Willis Tower, right? I, I call it the Sears Tower. Amen, somebody? Amen. We, 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 we know the Sears Tower in Chicago, right? It, it at one time was the tallest building in the Western Hemisphere, now the third tallest in the whole Western Hemisphere. It's standing at... 110 stories tall, which is about 1,730 feet tall. It, it took, listen to this, 2,000 workers to build this building over a three-year period of time. There are over 25 miles of plumbing within the Sears Tower, 1,500 miles of electric wiring, 80 miles of elevator cable, and 145 different light fixtures throughout the building. The Willis or Sears Tower contains 
approximately 4.56 million gross square feet. And that 4.56 million gross square feet, if it was spread across level ground, would equal about 105 acres. acres. That, that's equivalent to 16 city blocks here in Chicago. Now, there are many more fun facts about the Willis or Sears Tower that we can talk about. But the one that really struck me about the tower is the foundation. Because this building was constructed in 1973, so that's about 49 years ago. So I started to ask myself, man, how in the world does this building with the lakefront and the crazy weather we get here in Chicago, the snow and the wind and the rain and the hail and all, how does this building still stand so tall? Hear this. Beside the late lightweight material that's used to keep the building swaying with the wind and the craziness of our weather so it can still stand tall, so it can bend a little bit with the wind, the structural engineers, they pioneered the use of bundled tube construction. Now, the tower is composed of nine bundled structural tubes re resting on reinforced concrete caissons or chambers where the water cannot enter them and these tubes and caissons go all the way down to the bedrock. Then the caissons are lastly tied together by a reinforced concrete mat. Now why would they do this? Because the buildings on the lakefront were actually sinking by a foot all over the years. They were sinking so they pioneered this new technology. Now y'all are lost with me. I need to break this down a little bit for you. The foundation of the Willis or Sears Tower is a massive cement structure that is a hundred feet deep below the ground. You cannot see it but it's there. In addition, the foundation is surrounded by 200 circular caissons, which are huge cement-filled cylinders bored an additional 100 feet below that, set in the solid earth bedrock. That's a layer of solid rock, hundreds of feet below the surface of the earth. Here's my point in all of this, and some of y'all are with me. I don't hear no amen, so I got to break it down. The reason the Willis Tower can stand the test of time through the winds and the waves, through the crazy weather here in Chicago is because it's rooted in a foundation far beneath the earth's surface that is much stronger and deeper than the eye can see. But watch this. At the same time, allows the tower to st still stand strong above the earth's surface. What we see. But let me ask you, what are you like when the Storms of life hit you. How rooted and built up are you? What does your inner strength look like? What do your roots look like? Are, are you the one that wallows around sorrowful when things come your way? Or do you remain hopeful and built up in Christ? And, and don't hear me saying one should not be sad and you need to put on a face and fake it till you make it. No, that's pretending. That, that's performance. See, what I'm getting at here and Paul is saying in this text is that when you're rooted, when you're built up in Christ, there is a hope that exists outside of this world and the circumstances that come your way that keeps you going. Hear me. Being rooted and built up means to dwell so richly in the presence of Jesus and who he is 
where what happens in this world doesn't rock you. You can stand the test of the time because he's sovereign. But also there's hope because one day as a believer, you'll be free from the madness of this world and you'll live with Jesus forever and ever in glory in heaven. This is why Paul says be rooted and built up in Jesus because this truth right here makes one able to just walk around with a smile on their face just like my grandma even though all hell is breaking loose around you. I got five amens. We're going to have to turn these lights up. They're sleeping here. Paul says, live in him, being rooted and built up in Jesus, not, not in other places, but in Jesus, established in your faith as you were taught abounding in thankfulness. Stay, he says, stay in the presence of Jesus. Stay, stay in the word of God right here, meditating on his goodness, praying unceasingly, not forgetting his goodness towards you so that when all calamity is hitting you or calamity is happening in the world, thankfulness will abound in you. But I, I know, I know, I know. We're probably still sitting here asking, well, why is this all necessary still? Why? Paul, just like I as your pastor, I want you to know Christ. I want you to know who he is. I want you to be rooted in Christ so that when something deceptive comes around, just like what's happening here in the book of Colossians, when there's a new wave of theology or something comes your way that, that seems like it's going to give you some more fulfillment or more life, as you want to say, you can look at it without batting the eye and say, I don't want it. I got all I need. My friend, nothing will give you the satisfaction or fulfillment that the Lord gives you. Amen. But in that, if we're honest, the truth is the swaying of our faith, that happens. Uh, the swaying of our faith, doubts. What's happening here with the Colossian church, they're, what they're experiencing because of the deception of the age right now, uh, that's a problem, that's an age-old problem. This, went all, those, this goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. This is something that when they're, they're sitting in the garden and they're, they're, they're great, happy as could be, the serpent slithers around and is like, yeah, yeah, go ahead, eat from that tree. In that moment, they're deceived. It looks pleasing to the eye, so I'm going to take it and I'm going to eat it. They're deceived. See, God said no, but they thought it would be pleased. And they're deceived because of the words of the serpent. So hear me, what, what, what Colossian church and what we're experiencing today in our society, what we're going through, where all these different reasonings and different waves of reason and everybody saying this is truth is coming your way, y'all, and we're easily engulfed in it. This ain't new. Paul steps in just like we're doing right now, walking through the book of Colossians and says, says look, I need you to know Jesus. Because in him, you find all you need, not in everything else, in him. Now, I know someone's still sitting there saying, well, why Jesus, though? Why Jesus? Well, let's pay attention to the wording as we move through this text. Paul uses here in this passage, he says the word captive in verse 8. Everyone say captive. captive. Now, the word captive, we lose some of uh, the, the translation here. The word captive in the original language 
is very, it looks very similar to the word synagogue, which would be like a Jewish synagogue. And so if you put these words next to each other in the original language, if you look at them now, they look nothing alike. But if you put captive and synagogue next to each other, they would look exactly the same. So Paul here in this passage is using a play on words and he's saying, don't be fooled or taken captive by human schemes that resemble truth. See, this new philosophy is pointing not to just a new wave of teaching going on in Colossae, but it looks and it's possibly wrapped in some truth, but it's really not truth. It's like when somebody or maybe your kids come to you and they kind of give you a half truth. (laughs) You say, what happened? And they tell you their side of the story, the side of the story that makes them look good. They don't want to tell you the whole story. It's just a half truth. I mean, it's still true, but it's really not the truth. Paul here says, don't be taken captive. Don't be deceived by this philosophy and empty deceit. Now, when the church heard this, specifically when they heard the word philosophy, living in a Roman Greco world, they would have heard Paul saying to them, anyone can have a new philosophy Anyone can have a new way of thought. You know why? Because at the time, magicians were considered philosophers. Y'all missed that. Magicians were considered philosophers. They do magical tricks. They trick you for a living. And they're considered philosophers. So Paul is basically like, look, essentially, why would you give in to a new way of thought? Everyone has new truths. Sound familiar to the world we live in? Everybody got a truth. That's the truth. This is my truth. That's your truth. All these different truths. And all my, everybody can't have a truth. One of them got to be wrong. All of them. It's only one right one, right? You can't have all these different truths. Now, that's a whole nother sermon for another day. I don't have time to get into that. But Paul right here, just like that, instead of going into all of these empty truths and empty deceits, he said, look, I'm not going to show you how empty they are. I'm just going to call it like it is because I really want to show you and tell you the the one and only truth. I want to tell you about Jesus. So he says, let me let me talk about him because he's the only factual one. He's the real truth that has stood the test of time. So Paul says, look, 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 there's always going to be a new thought. But Jesus is the only way. In fact, he says one more thing in verse eight. And I love it. He says, this isn't this isn't just a new thought or new wave of theology, but this is simply empty deceit. Empty deceit inspired by the elemental spirits of the world. Paul says this way of belief is something that's built off the world, which changes all the time. But on the other side, you have Jesus who has stood the test of time and has been here since the beginning. The same God yesterday, the same God today and forevermore. They're not the same. And I love the next part because Paul, he's like, I I said all of that, but let me give you some more. So what he does is he starts rattling off truth to these believers and who they are in Christ. Basically, he wants to remind them, watch this, of the goodness that is in Jesus that is not offered by anything else. And to be honest, we all probably in here as believers need to be reminded of the goodness we have in Jesus. We need to be reminded of who we are in Christ. I mean, in a room this size with this amount of people, there's at least one or two, if not more, that walked in here. You're struggling with your identity. You're struggling with who you are. 
And I want to remind you, like Paul does in the text, of who you are in Christ. He says once again in verse 9, I love this, he says, in Christ dwells the fullness of all deity in bodily form. In summation, he says, Jesus is God. Verse 10, in Christ you have been filled, who is the head of all rule and authority. This is him saying you share in authority with Jesus. You share in rule with Jesus. Who else, let me ask you, who else or what other truth offers you that type of rule? I'll wait. To, to that end, David says in Psalm 8, I love this psalm, he says, what is man that you would be mindful of him and that you would give him dominion over the work of your hands, the beast of the fields and the birds of the air? See, as a believer, you share in the reign of Jesus. But, but I know, I know that's not enough. Let's keep it moving. Verse 11, he says, now you have been circumcised, not with one of hands or earthly, but with Christ. Here Paul is saying, here once again, an earthly, earthly circumcision once was something that happened to you that marked you as a child of God, but now that you have believed in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, you are now counted as righteous, not on the basis of your works, but on the basis of Christ's work on your behalf. Meaning that you don't have to prove yourself holy through how good you can be. But instead, Christ has already done all the work. He's made you holy through his work on the cross. You know what that gives believers? That gives you freedom. That gives you freedom from pretending. Freedom from performance. Freedom. You now can work and live and walk without the burden of approval over your head because you work now from approval instead of for approval. But I know, I know, I'm not getting amens because that's not enough. Here, here, verse 12, I love this part because this is where it gets good, family. Walk with me. I promise I'm coming in your neighborhood. Paul says, in Christ, you have been buried through baptism in his death. And in him, through the power of God, have risen to life. What this means is that Christ is the one who died for your sins. So you don't have to die. There was one death. You don't have to die for the wages of your sin when you believe. That's Romans 6, 23. But not only that, through Christ's resurrection and your belief, that same power now resides in you. Watch this. Y'all just missed it. What, what Paul is saying is that the same resurrection power that got Jesus up from the grave that defeated Satan, sin, and death is now in you as a believer. Whew. This means, y'all missing this thing, this, this means that not only you won't die because of your sin and you'll go to heaven and be in glory with him forever and ever, but you have the same power through your belief the Holy Spirit resides in you to fight off the wiles of Satan and the world and your flesh. The same power Jesus had. This means, hear me family, you don't have to walk around with your head held low like this. Shoulders slumped over. But now as Yolanda Adams would say in her song, y'all may not know it, but y'all gonna hear me sing it this morning. She would say in that song, Victory. If you know it, sing it with me. She'd say, I've got got the victory. I've got the sweet, sweet victory in Jesus. Yes, I do. He is a mighty conqueror. In him I will trust that all my battles he'll fight. I've got, got the victory. I've got the sweet, sweet victory in Jesus. For me he died, but he rose on the third day. That's why I have true victory every day. I've got the victory, family. And y'all looking at me because I can't sing, but y'all missing what I'm saying here. 
You see, I'm so happy about this because as believers, we got the victory. This is why we celebrate the resurrection. This is why we celebrate in baptism when you'll see that three weeks from now on Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate this because God has been good. We have won the victory. We live in victory over Satan, sin, and death. So you can hold your head up high. Keep it high. So even when you fall, you can remember that Christ's victory still stands over Satan, sin, and death. We still got the victory. So you can say... I've got the victory. Come on now. Y'all can sing with me. Got the victory. Y'all don't even know this song. Sweet, sweet victory in Jesus. I've got the victory. Listen to this song. It'll bless your soul later. But I know, I know. Someone saying, Pastor D, I, I heard you singing, but that's not enough either. And you're still sitting there and you're saying, Pastor, I hear this is great news, but you don't know my story. I've done some pretty foul stuff. I've messed up. And you're right, I I don't know your story. But I do know what Jesus has done. Look with me as we round third and head home in verse 13 to 14. Paul says, yeah, you, you and I, we were dead in our trespasses. But we've been made alive together in Christ. Where we have been forgiven. Turn your neighbor on the right and say, I don't know your story. Then turn the other way and say, Through belief, you are forgiven. I'm I'm going to teach y'all about being a black church one way or another. (laughs) The reality is, is that I may not know your story, but when you believe, you're forgiven. Friends, when you believe in Christ, No matter what you have done, you're forgiven. He has canceled. Canceled, as the text says. He's canceled the record of debt against you, against us, by nailing it to the cross. I I need y'all to understand what this means. That means whatever wrong that you've done, whatever thing that you're saying, that's too bad for anybody to accept me or to love me. It's been canceled. He nailed it to the cross. Jesus died for you. I don't know if y'all really getting this, so let's go to the cross. I need you to picture this in your mind. Jesus is hanging on the cross. Nails in his hands. Nails in his feet. He's dying for you and I. Blood dripping down his broken and bruised body. He's dying for you and I. And on the cross while he's standing there, all of our sin, all of our death, everything is on him and it's canceled. He's taking it on himself. So y'all missing this. The sin of adultery, you could just nail it to the cross. Canceled. Shall I keep going? The sin of fornication, he's nailed it to the cross. It's canceled. The sin of drunkenness, is canceled. Whatever it is in your life, idolatry, it's canceled. He's taking all of that upon himself and it's all canceled. No record. 
it's canceled that's the good news of the gospel and I don't think we realize that so hear me stop living in those shackles of yesterday if you believe you are a child of God you are not your mess he loves you Paul says verse 15 that through the cross Christ disarmed all rulers and authorities in this world that includes the demonic realm he put him to open shame he took on sin and shame he died and he rose again so with all this family all that I've walked through and Paul writes why would you trust any other truth when you believe no matter what is going on what's happening around you when you believe you can walk with a smile on your face Because Jesus is the person behind your strength. So as Paul says, walk in him, family. Walk in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You are good. I thank you that our debt has been canceled. The record is gone. I thank you that there's freedom in you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for your death. Thank you that we get to walk in such a mighty Savior. We're undeserving. And whatever that thing is in our heart, whatever sin there is, God, whatever we're carrying, whatever we're holding on to, sin you won't accept us or other people won't accept us God I pray that right now we would just as the text says it's nailed to the cross that we would figuratively say it's, it's put on the cross it's there it's, it's gone it's been canceled when we believe that we would know the rich, riches of your grace the depth of your love for us God I pray for the person that's still struggling in their faith God, I pray that they would know a love that's unimaginable, a love that covers sin, a love, love that still looks at our mess and says, look, I, I see where you're at, but I've done something about that. You don't have to hold on to it. Jesus has taken it all on the cross. So even when you fail and when you mess up, I still got you. I'm here. So God, I pray that we will make a practice of repentance and belief, running from that thing and the mess that we've been in and running back to you over and over and over again. Because trials will come and mess will come. So let us run back to the one who's always constant. 
was Jesus. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. We all say together. Amen. 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 Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.